Yeah. So, I mean, getting to the start line took, you know, a couple of years or just under a couple of years of, of, of real hard work. But I think more than the hard work was the the failure. And I think that's where the resilience piece comes in, you know, the, 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 and failure is so important to experience. Um, it's not nice to experience, but, but coming back from those failures is, is, is important. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of Barry Hayes on the show. Uh, good morning to you, Barry. Morning, morning. Thank you very much for, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. No, it's good to have you. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, and exploring your your roads across the Pacific and Indian Oceans and see what lessons you've learned uh, from that, which I'm sure you've learned loads from that. Um, and before we sort of get into that, Ria, I just want to, uh, just, just for me, really, and I always like to try and understand this from people. What what's the why behind this? Why did you set out to row Pacific was your first one? Uh, and then ultimately, why did you get into the Indian Ocean? I mean, it's just, they're big things. And I, I know it's become very more popular now, but it's still a big thing. And I just want to just dive into the, the why behind it, really. Absolutely, I, th- I think the why is 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 key, and I think it's um, sometimes it's not not clear for everybody. Um, and I think some people have a carrot and some people have a stick. Uh, but uh, as far as the why is concerned, I don't really know how far to go back. But I, I think that the sort of key. I think if you're going to take on something as extreme as rowing an ocean, in, certainly in my world, perhaps in some people's world is not extreme, but in my world, that was a very extreme thing. I was working minimum wage in a post room for the Bank of America, you know, so this was a very extreme thing for me to go and go and, go and do. Um, and the sort of, so I think people often require a, or, or have a trigger moment. Uh, for me, I think it was very much my, uh, so my dad got very ill. He was in, he was in hospital and he was in a, he was in a coma. And so we, so, sorry to start off on a dark note, but uh, he, he was, he was in a coma and we got told, you know, he, he may not make it through this. And, um, there was this leaflet about coping with loss. And I, and I remember just sitting there in this, in this sort of hospital bed with, with my dad thinking, you know, okay, so he's going to die and he's, he's only very young. He's only 60, which is you know, no age. Um, but what an incredible life this man has had. He, he, he'd been in the, he'd been in the military. He'd done, so from before I was born until as an adult, he'd always sort of gone away to sea for nine month blocks, come home for three month blocks. And he'd done that for my whole life. Like say from before I was born until I was an adult, um, and whenever he'd come home, he'd have these incredible stories about the uh, jungles of Belize and the deserts of Iraq and the penguins of Antarctica and all these incredible, and the darker stuff, you know, the, the, the drugs, drug smugglers he'd been fighting and the wars he'd been involved with. His ship was blown up in the Falklands War whilst he was on it. You know, there were, but all of these stories I found absolutely fascinating. And I used to tell all my friends at school about them. You know, I still do. I'm, I'm doing it right now. Um, but I remember thinking, you know, okay, he's going to die, but he's had this incredible life. What an amazing legacy he's got. He's got three kids who are incredibly proud of what he's done. And then I thought, if I die tomorrow, what is my legacy? You know, what is my story? What stories does Jack, my, uh, who's 19 now, but at the time seven-year-old, uh, tell his friends at school about, about me? You know, it's not about my job. You know, I, I worked I work in the post room, you know, and I totally understand that children are proud of their parents for a myriad of different things. But for me personally, in my mind, I could not possibly see how somebody could be as proud of me as I was of my, of, of my own dad doing, doing those cool things. And that, that was really the, 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 the trigger moment. I didn't know I wanted to, to row across an ocean because I didn't know that was possible. Um, 
for, for me, I'd spent most of my life wanting to be in the military. You know, most of my family are in the military. Um, I was in the army cadets for six years. I could strip and rebuild a machine gun by the time I was 13 years old. You know, that was the route that I was going down. Um, and then when I got to that doorstep, I realized that, you know, that is not an opportunity that is available to me. Um, quite simply, I've got um, asthma, I've got epilepsy. Uh, those are long-term health conditions. There isn't a cure. Um, and you cannot join the military with those two things. So, and I'd always been brought up like, you know, you can be whoever you want to be. And I think that's a wonderful thing to, to teach children. Mm. But I remember thinking, I can't be whoever I want to be. I, I've tried so hard to do it, um, but I can't be. It doesn't matter how far I can run or how fast I can run there or how much I can lift in the gym. I will never be able to join the military whilst I've got those two things on, on my record. And so was that was that quite frustrating at the time? It was incredibly frustrating. And I'd been, I, I was sort of very adventurous, you know, through my dad, really. I'd climb, you know, he took me up Snowden when I was five and we used to go off camping. And I, I without my family, I went off to Africa and climbed Kilimanjaro when I was 15 or 16. I was really into sort of adventure and, and, and making it happen myself. Um, but this suddenly just sent me a curveball and I completely lost, not off the rails in, in a horrendous way, but just completely lost track mm. of life and just went down the path most followed, got a job, you know, working in the post room. Um, and, and that really, really, really frustrated me. But actually this trigger moment, those sort of big things make you start thinking about um, your whys in, in real granular detail. I remember thinking, well, why did I want to join the military? You know, it's not for the uniform. Uh, it's not to be screamed at by a drill sergeant at 4 a.m. in the morning. It was for the adventures. And I realized I can still have those adventures. I've just got to go about it in, in, in a very different way. Mm. Um, and the way that I decided to go about it was by taking bigger risks, um, both personally and financially, um, and by overcoming those hurdles that were in my way. Um, and, and the hurdles were just normal hurdles. There, there were small hurdles. There were huge hurdles. But the big hurdles were things like family and career and mortgage. And, and you know, those are so – they're huge, and they stop so many people doing so many things, but they are common to most people. And what I found was that once I'd made that decision that I was going to have this big adventure that I didn't know what it was going to be yet, but I wanted to change my life, have these big adventures – suddenly opportunities that were always there just became clearer to uh, the being there. They were whizzing past at a great rate of knots. And those hurdles started falling down around me. You know, so when you actually, when I actually approached my family about rowing across, well, well I didn't know rowing across an ocean at the time, but when I eventually decided to row across an ocean, when I approached them about it, they were absolutely fine with it. You know, when I looked at my mortgage, I was like, well, okay, it's 500 pound a month, three months out, that's 1500 pounds. That's an awful lot of money, but it's not you know, we can find that money through a loan or, you know, some sort of credit card or there, there is a way around that. And and things like career, you know, my, when I told my boss, he was very excited about it. He couldn't give me, you know, the time off. He was like, no, I can't allow you to spend three, three months splashing about in the sea. And um, so I was looking at the reasons why again. And, you know, so I went, ultimately spoke to the CEO of the company, not going above my boss's head because he'd said no, you know, with his sort of, I, I talked to him about it, mm. was to try and sort of kind of coach the business into the idea that this would be a really beneficial thing for someone that works for your company to go and do something like this. You've then got an asset. I can then do talk talks for the company and in, in all the different sales meetings. And they were 
really excited about it. And then they sort of cascaded it down. They didn't just tell my boss, you must do that. But they said, if you can sort of manage this, then it'd be great. And then, of course, then, then my boss was fine with it. And, and I was able, so it was, they were, they were, because this trigger ma- moment happened, suddenly everything became, you know, I looked at everything in more granular detail and found reasons why or reasons around or, you know, well, that's that's a shift, isn't it? I mean, you, you've got that that why that adventure and, and wanting to leave a legacy, but it, it created a a mindset by the sounds of it that you thinking that everything is figure outable, everything is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, working out the mortgage, and it's not just the three months because it's the many months or year or so beforehand in preparation, the training, and yeah. gathering funding, and everything else. There's, but. So what, what was a shift that created that different mindset that when actually, yes, I've got all these things, all the problems or the challenges that made them see them more as opportunities or ways to overcome that? Yeah, I, I think, I think uh, um, as I say, the, that, that trigger moment made a big difference to me. I, I sort of knew that I could do cool things. You know, um, I, I mentioned before, you know, I climbed Kilimanjaro when I was, when I was 15 and, it took two years to get to Africa and just climb Kilimanjaro. I went right, spent quite a long time in Africa, but it took two years to get to that, to get the money to go and do that. Um, I, as a 14 year old, I walked the length of Wales and I, I would shovel horse manure in people's fields, get them to pay me to take it away. And then I'd sell the horse manure to gardeners uh, to make that money. So I was making money for taking it away and making money for getting rid of it sort of thing. So I sort of saved this money over, over years and, went out and did that so I, I sort of had this i'd had this really good experience where i could if i if i thought outside the box and i worked really hard i could get something brilliant out of it i think all that was kind of wiped with the whole military thing which you know upon reflection i'm now 42 years, years old i'm very glad that i didn't jo- join the military but that that was what i wanted to do and being told that you under no circumstances, doesn't matter what you do. You know, and I wasn't even looking, I wasn't trying to be an astronaut. It was a fallback job for many people mm. joining the military and I couldn't even get that. And it just made me feel very worthless uh, as, mm. as, as, as a person um, as far as as far as what I could give to to society, what I could do for myself. And I, I just lost track. So I, I think I had that from, 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 a, from, from a childhood, that mindset. And it was just kind of re-engaged when I, I looked at something. I, I, I'm a very determined person. And when I and I think I sort of got that determination back when I had that sort of trigger moment of them saying that my dad was going to die, basically. Um, but I mean, the, so, yeah. so, um, why, 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 why the Pacific Ocean and why rowing? What, what, what was, I guess. So, you know, so I mean, the drive to get that. Yeah. So I mean, and, and again, I'd never before I got involved in the Pacific. I'd never been to sea before. I mean, I've been on a ferry to France a couple of times, but that was about the limits of my seafaring prowess um i'd never been i never rode a boat um even on the river um i i didn't have any experience of doing anything like this um and as with most things i was in the pub uh staggering home at 1 30 in the morning uh, i think i've been celebrating the fact that it was a tuesday probably um and i was flicking through my phone on facebook and i saw this blog by a guy called alistair humphreys who um is a british adventurer uh, and he was talking about a guy called philip kavanagh in in dublin who was wanting to put a team together to take on the world's first race rowing race across the pacific ocean um and it just something just clicked inside of me it was shortly after i decided i was going to have these big adventures and it was just one of these opportunities that was always there i probably would have read it regardless and gone oh gosh that sounds interesting and carried on my day but instead it was right i'm going to quicken my stagger home <laughs> uh get in and send this email off um 
long story short, lots of emails, phone calls, Skype sessions. Finally, I flew to Dublin to meet with Philip. Uh, I think we, on pint number seven in, in Temple Bar, we decided each other was quite sound and we were going we to row an ocean together. So, I mean, it was, it was literally just an opportunity came up. There was no grand designs of rowing an ocean. It was, wow, that is something that I didn't even know was possible. I am looking for something like, like this. Um, and actually, rowing across the Pacific became the catalyst for the rest of my life. It completely changed my life uh, for the better. Uh, it defined my life, if, I, if, if I'm completely honest. Um, and it was, you know, some, 10 years ago now. It's interesting, isn't it? When, you, when you're ruled by, when you've got clarity on your purpose or your why, and you're, you're governed by that, which is obviously great, you just go for things and you don't, so you don't procrastinate, you don't over, overthink things, and you just do it because it's linked to your purpose. And I think sometimes... You know, people might look at you and go, well, that's a bit rash. You had a few beers, saw them on Facebook, and off you went. But actually, deep down, it was part of what you were seeking, what you were after, and pushing. And and I think sometimes we've just got to go for things sometimes and just step out and think, actually, because it's part of who I am and, and it resonates. And sometimes it's always hard to explain to others how you got to that journey, but that's really important, actually. And just talk us through... You must have had. I mean, obviously, just getting to a start line of these is 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 a challenge in itself. Before you even that, you know, I've 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 coached um, ocean rowers myself, and just getting to the start line is a real challenge in itself. What what, what sort of one or two highlights of the challenges you face, and how did you overcome those uh, before you even got to the start line of the Pacific? Yeah, so I mean, getting to the start line took you know a couple of years, or just under a couple of years of 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 real hard work. But I think more than the hard work was the the failure, and I think that's where the resilience piece comes in. You know, the, 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 and failure is so important to experience. Um, it's not nice to experience, but but coming back from those failures is, is, is important. You know, so, so from from our perspective, we we kind of got a team together. Um, every, lots of people want to row an ocean until they realise the enormity of that challenge of getting to the start line um, and realising, oh, I'm not going to be able to work for three months, or actually, the year before, I'm only going to be able to do limited work because I've got so much else to do. So, so we got a team, and then we lost a team. Um, it, myself and Philip, we remained together for the whole thing. Um, then we got a boat, and then we realised that actually this boat wasn't suitable, and we lost that boat. Then we got another team together. Uh, and then about six weeks before we were due to start the race, um, three weeks before we were due to be in California, uh, that, that team fell apart as well. Um, we ended up meeting who would end. We, we basically decided we're going to push forwards regardless. And we put everything into this, you know, regardless of even if we're just waving people off at the start line, um, we were going to move forwards regardless. So, so, so we kept pushing forwards rather than giving up. Um, and actually we met crew member number three. So we did it as a four. We met crew member number three the night before we flew out to California. We met crew member number four in California and we didn't get hold of a boat until seven, seven or eight days before the start, start line. So, and, and, and this boat was, old it was you know the electrics were gone the water maker didn't work that the, it, it wasn't watertight um we were genuinely referred to as the jamaican bobsled team of, of of the race um but we but we you know just but we put everything into the into that and it seems like we just rocked up seven days before with about it was years of work but lots of failure yeah. and learning from that failure to get to that start line and that's so how did you i mean obviously interesting isn't it just before you you're down to two of you and then you got these last almost last minute sort of entries into your boat and and almost then your boat at the end it took seven eight days before you got it 
how did you deal with that uncertainty? Because people might be listening right now who who have a lot of uncertainty. They might not be rowing an ocean, but they might be doing something quite big in their organization. They might be self-employed, or they might be just starting off on their, their own challenge of yeah, becoming a new career, whatever it may be. How did you deal with that uncertainty? Because it feels to me, as much as you, you'd invested a few years before, towards the end, there was massive amount of uncertainty going on. Yeah. And, and, and how did you keep going with that without sort of thinking, oh, this is just not going to work. Everything's sort of falling apart. Just a short interruption to the episode to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in association with Lodge Court, who are experts in HR support. Are you worrying about employee performance, absences and leave? Are you struggling with attracting and retaining the best talent for your business? I personally know the people at Logical and they can support you with every people issue you may face. So focus on what you do best and let Logical deliver your HR support as an extension of your business with a tailored, flexible monthly retain package that is right for you and your people. Now back to the episode. So I think that comes down to that 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 the, the amount that you've invested and 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 what it means to you, you know, and it becomes it gets to a point. Of, but if you're very very comfortable in in life, then it's very difficult then to make yourself uncomfortable. But obviously the outside of your comfort zone, bit of a cliche, but outside of the comfort zone, that's where you learn everything. And but but if you're very comfortable, it, it, it it's very easy to just go, okay, well this isn't working. Uh, we can't do it. This is not sensible. Everything was on on the line in, in my mind. Everything was on the line here. You know, I I I, I we I'd got enormous loans to cover. You know, we'd lost lots of money and in, 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 and we'd f- failed in, in in the startup. And you know, I got huge loans to try and cover cover my uh, mortgage and payments when I was away. And and you know, everything was on the line um, to 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 to. to to change my life certainly, and and probably the life lives of the people that that were doing it, um, and there was just so much invested in it, and there was so much on the line that actually giving up wasn't really okay. It was physically an option. It didn't feel like much of an option, and I honestly think that was one of the reasons why we did quite well in in the crossing. You know, there was thirteen boats that started, um, and despite us being the, the Jamaican bobsled team. Um, only six boats made it across um, without support, um, and, and we came second in in, in in that crossing. And I think that was you know, a lot. There was quite a few people uh, picked up by helicopter. There was a few people rescued by yacht. One person got towed to Mexico. Um, but I think it was. I remember thinking this is horrendous during, during the first few days of this row. There's absolutely no way on earth that we were ever going to call in a rescue unless something catastrophic had happened far worse than perhaps the next person because for us you know we had no money between us um it was it was such a life-changing thing that they just didn't feel an option to just get home and and, and forget about it because it would have you know i mean even even though we were successful in crossing in crossing the pacific it still took me nearly 10 years to pay back all the money that i'd borrowed and to you know overcome all the, all the debt that we created by by doing it um and to have had that on top of, of failure of not rowing was totally out out of out of the question. Basically, it would have had to have mm. been something really really bad to to have made a stop. So it's very easy to say, you know, keep pushing forwards, and you know, sometimes there will be failure in, in pushing forwards. But failure isn't the end point. Failure isn't the the final point. Failure is the bit that says, right, well, this didn't work. Let's try again. Let's go and do it another way. Um, and and, and when we did the Indian Ocean a few years later, we was it, we were supposed to go in 2017, and we failed to make it to the start line. You know, and it cost a huge amount of money, and 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 you know, but 
And it's not like I'm, I'm not a millionaire. I was, I was earning minimum wage at the time when, mm. when, I, when I started these things. So it's not, you know, money that I can throw away. But, you know, learning through failure um, has helped me enormously. Um, uh, and, and so that I don't make those failures in, in, in the future as much. And looking back on, say, the Pacific Ocean, I know the Pacific Ocean is quite a tough one to, to go through anyway. So it's, it's harder than the Atlantic crossing. Yeah. Um, in, in your lessons of reflection of looking back of how you got to the star line, what, would you do anything differently? Yes. And I think that's sort of every time you do something like this, you, you take, you take, take away lessons about how, how you, how you do something uh, differently. Uh, and a lot of it is just knowing the climate, knowing the boats, knowing the people, knowing who to get involved with, who not to get involved with. Um, quite honestly, despite the fact that it sounds like this, it was this, this catastrophic um, episode to get to the start line. It worked really, really well for us because despite the fact that I, I didn't know two of the rowers at all um, until we got there, um, that was actually a benefit. I think if, you know, if you're going with your, like, I, I love my brothers. I've got two brothers. I love them. But I think if we rode an ocean together, we'd probably end up with one missing by the time we made it to the other side and fall apart, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, not knowing the other two people meant that there was, you know, there's there's bigger boundaries and you're not crossing those boundaries as quickly and as easily. And there's lots to learn. You know, when you're rowing an ocean, you're rowing for 12 hours a day, usually sort of say two hours on, two hours off, 24 hours a day. There's a lot of time where you're just either you know, the, to, to talk, basically. And when, when you've got people that you don't know and you can learn something from them and you're talking, it's, 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 it's a really quite an, it's quite a helpful thing. Uh, you know, and there, there were arguments, you know, you can't sort of, you can't sit in something that's about, you know, quite about the size of a large double bed and you can't leave it for, well, that one was 45 days without some sort of conflict but 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 generally we were we were in comparison to some of the people that took on that race we were f- largely conflict free and i think it was very much because of the, that we were still learning about each other as the crossing went on mm-hmm. um you know, I, I think i think the biggest thing that i would say to anybody that was wanted to row an ocean or do something of that sort of ilk um is to is to is to take on as much advice as possible. Um, you know, certainly I, I found, I, I read every book there was to read about ocean rowing. I watched every video. I, and, and the thing I sort of, I found out all these key names kept coming up in the videos and books. And I sort of found out who all these people were. And I kind of made them my circle of friends, whether they wanted to be my circle of friends or not. Um, and, and actually just, immersing yourself in that world makes a huge difference and makes a huge difference to what you can what you can what you can learn and you don't have to be just talking to them about ocean rowing all the time just being in the pub with these kind of people mm. you you suddenly start finding yourself thinking like an ocean rower and making decisions like an ocean rower and then you know, risk analyzing a little bit like an ocean rower before long you know i knew more about ocean rowing than most people on the planet and i hadn't even set foot in a boat and, and I think that's true with with anything, and not just ocean rowing. You know, I can't speak Japanese. It's not going to stop me going to Japan. And when I'm there, I will start. If I immerse myself in the experts, I will start to pick up words and I'll start to pick up phrases. And if I immerse myself and engage as much as possible for as long enough, I will become the expert in in that language. I will become fluent, and you become the expert mm. by immersing yourself in experts. And I think immersing yourself in that world is, is is the is the best thing that you can do and taking the advice and sometimes that advice is expensive you know hiring a coach or hiring you know uh, some sort of support or, or expert but 
the shortcuts that that gives you is mm. beyond comprehension in some places. You could work for four or five years and not get to the, to the place you mm. are after a few weeks on, on with, with a coach, basically. Uh, mm. And I think that's enormously important for people to, to take seriously before they go in, because you can save, even though it might be, I don't know, however many thousand pounds to work with this ocean rowing coach, you'll probably save that much money in all the failure you make on, on, on the way to the start line. Yeah, no, I think it's important to get, to get that external in, input and exp- expertise around you. Certainly, if you're doing something really, whether it's ocean rowing or scaling your business, th- doesn't matter what it is, getting the expert, A, only creates that shortcuts, but also means you get uh, a lot more expertise that will drive you forward and for longer as well and sustain that. Yeah. Um, t- talk us through, I don't know, any particular challenge or, or perhaps not almost near disaster potentially either from pacific or the indian ocean road and and just explain that what happened what went wrong that potentially possibly could be fatal i don't know if you experienced that sort of sort of uh, yeah. extreme and how did you a navigate that and and as a team because obviously you had worked that through and and sort of what was going on in your head at the time so I think that um so firstly the the Indian Ocean um was four years after the Pacific and the Indian Ocean is orders of magnitude more difficult than, than the Pacific is. Um, any ocean can be the most horrendous ocean on its day. Um, I don't know of anybody that's rode the Indian Ocean that's gone, that was easy. Um, whereas the Atlantic can often be, you know, quite nice conditions all the way across, uh, but the Indian doesn't seem to to do that. And it was, in my experience anyway, um, enormous. These seas were absolutely phenomenal to, to, to cross, and it really was a, a major challenge. And I think I probably underestimated how challenging it was going to be, um, and it was for, for me was was the, was the most difficult to do. Uh, and I think ninety nine percent of the challenges that that we faced were were mental challenges. Um, I remember there was this point. So the first three days of the Indian Ocean, we sort of shot out, we surpassed all expectations, and I think I declared myself a rowing god. Um, and then, you know, on, on day three, realised, oh, actually, no, and this massive storm was trying to blow us back to Australia. Uh, and there was a point where we rowed, um, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're constantly rowing every second of every day. Um, and we rowed for 10 days. And at the end of that t- 10 days, constantly rowing all the way through the night, we were backwards from where we started. And that sort of the mental impact that had was just enormous to be putting all of that work in for all that time, you know, over a week to only end up being backwards um, was 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 so difficult to deal with um and and then i I remember three or four weeks into it we we had to have a conversation about are we going to have to actually go back to australia here because we were making no progress whatsoever um and there was that there was this one day where um i'd had a bad day the 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 storm had hit and i i'd the sort of deck had come up and smashed me in the face and i'd uh, nearly lost my eye through i had all the split eye and had all these bandages around my face and we were having this conversation about whether we'd have to go back to australia and, and again this was everything on the line we put everything into this uh, i lost my uh, uh lost the, the what two of us lost our jobs in the process of doing this i lost uh, the contract i was working on because we were out there for so long it was everything was on 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 the line um uh, and I was in tears. I was in absolute tears. Like, what? This is the darkest point of my life. Mm. Um, 
And then the very next day, we had these wonderful, huge whales came alongside, massive, great big creatures, far bigger than the boat. And they spent, you know, an hour circling the boat and just gently nudging the boat. And then they sort of, one of them just lay alongside the boat. And this, they've got this big whale eye and you're kind of staring into this creature's soul. And suddenly that, that, that connection with nature because you haven't got on, you know, you haven't gone SeaWorld, you haven't gone on a, on a whale watching tour even. They were uh, migrating, changed direction to come and see us. And, and we were the interesting thing to them. It was a totally uh, organic connection with nature. Mm. And suddenly that totally changed our mindsets and totally changed everything. It filled us with energy. And suddenly we were going to make it across this ocean. Um, and very much I, I, what I found from ocean rowing was it forces you into these dark spots where you're you're learning you know we have this you know outside of your comfort zone is where you do all the learning but we don't generally want to go outside the comfort zone because it's uncomfortable we certainly don't want to go too far outside the comfort zone whereas with ocean rowing you cannot get off there's there's no way of getting off and unless there's a uh, th th there's there's grave danger to or grave and imminent danger to your life so unless you're about to you're likely to die then you can't just call in a rescue because you know because you don't fancy it anymore there is no option, and you're forced into these incredibly dark situations sometimes. So how, how do you, I mean, having the, the no option piece, as in you can't just press the button and get off the ride, so to speak, mm. how do you deal with that? Because that, that, that feels quite, can be all feel like you're trapped. And yeah. how do you sort of navigate yourself out of that dark moments? And uh, yeah, so what, I mean, what, what did you do? Is there any sort of strategies that you did at the time or learned along the way? I, you, you certainly um, have, you find yourself trying to compartmentalize things mentally and you do certainly go to a, a very, very dark place or certainly from my experience of it is you can go to a very, very dark place and you're sort of trying to sort of compartmentalize all these sort of difficult thoughts. Um, but there was, and this is, it sort of relates to, 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 I, I've always been very, very open, um, or certainly about mental health issues that I, I've had, um, serious mental health issues in, in later life and how, how you deal with, deal with those. And, and it kind of was, 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 was like that. You start finding these methods and tools to navigate that, that issue, that mental health condition or that, or that being stuck in a boat, not being able to go anywhere. Um, I found that, that, that diarizing, you know, I, I didn't take a diary to write, but I think on day 20, I just suddenly started writing every single day and it gave me this focus. Um, listening to things like podcasts to sort of take my mind away from what the, the experience was trying to sort of, you know, and it's hard because you're you're so lucky to be out there. We we live in this in this really busy world where there's there's noise and there's phone calls and calls and there's people at the door and there's there's emails. You're so lucky to be out there because there's nothing. You've just got this one focus is just to get to the other side. And all we've got to do is keep rowing each day. And you're so lucky to have that. We we sort of have there's a focus that, you know in, in current life about you know mindfulness and meditation there's, and being present. And there's no better place to be in entirely present out on the ocean with nothing around you and you've just got that one focus and that's important to enjoy it's not all horrible i sort of feel like i'm making it like it's this horrendous dark thing i absolutely love ocean rowing i love that experience mm. and i love what it gives to you i love uh, and yes it does take you to those dark places but you have to know that the following day there might be this incredible experience and and, and it's trying to manage those highs and lows um 
but there are you know coping mechanisms for when it is dark and and for me yeah things like music and things like podcasts and and certainly writing i found really really cathartic and i i was reading through my diary the other day i not read it in four or five years and it was fascinating what i was what i was writing down um I've forgotten most of it because a lot of the time, you know, you may be hallucinating or you're you're very ill or you know you, you, mm. you sort of push that feeling quite you know down quite quite quite. There was a, there was a moment we were eight days away from uh, from Mauritius and um, we were in a horrendous storm. I was the only person on deck. Um, we, we row in pairs, but one one of the guys that we were rowing with had Parkinson's disease and he was really struggling. And so he was um, so he was my rowing partner at the time. So he was also uh, in one of the cabins. So I was on my own this huge storm came um enormous waves and you know they were they were crashing down on the boat and you'd feel them crushing your sort of head down onto your shoulders and you'd come in, inside off off a shift sometimes feeling like you've got sort of whiplash car car accident symptoms um and i was just getting to the stage where i thought this is not handy i need to come in um and then all the sort of stars disappeared as this big black wave came you couldn't see it but you just see all the stars and the moon disappear uh, it sort of sucks the boat up the face of this wave and it, it spun us round so we we're upside down and i'm sort of hanging outside the boat i was touched by a cable but hanging outside the boat and sort of upside down it then surfed down this wave and our computers registered us doing 23.2 nautical miles um which is, which is uh, knots rather which is extremely fast uh, particularly when you're upside down and not actually in the boat um and then we sort of self-righted and i i sort of fell out of this wave and back into the boat and and it was it was an incredibly intense experience and I was sort of shaking like this but then it immediately changed because um uh, Billy opened the door and he looked at me and said are you, are you all right everything okay and I was like yeah yeah fine um and then James opened the other cabin door and he'd been eating chicken korma so he had chicken korma all over his face there was this big <laughs> yellow streak of chicken korma all around the inside of the boat um and suddenly we all laughing our heads off about this this hilarious thing so you go from those sort of streams of darkness and hilarity wow. um, and i think it's quite hard to manage those uh, sometimes but i think it is quite important to try and manage those highs and lows if you if you let yourself get too manically happy about something then those those dark spots become even even darker when when they do come around and how did you so so now you you've, you've done two oceans and and i'm sure you've you know had some extremes there's some dark places and some highs having whales swim alongside you which sounds incredibly amazing actually um when you get into those dark places now what 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 strategies or lessons have you learned to how you deal with that because i'm sure life's not all a bed of roses now or or has it changed a perspective on your life or how you deal with things or has it made things i don't know your mindset very different and how it was before how you deal with things yeah so i mean i mean it has done, you know, and and it's and it's and it's all well and good saying well, we need to be more resilient, but there are barriers to resilience that we that we often, you know, we should be more resilient, and we need to be able to do these things. But you know, people have you know things like sort of uh, long term health conditions and and you know. Um, racism and homophobia and all those sort of things they can be barriers to that to 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 your to 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 resilience um but that the idea of 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 sort of pushing through uh isn't always particularly helpful and and it's and it's something that i learned in later life um yeah, i appreciate this is probably not what you're sort of getting at but um from my perspective after the ocean rose uh 2020 um i was the point where I was suicidal. This is it. I was going to finish finish my life, and had to change. Uh, very luckily, got in touch with with a with a, a really really good doctor and um, a mental health professional, 
who taught me a lot about what I can do. And, and I realized when he was teaching me about the, the, the methods of coping with, with what, what I was going through, they were very similar to, to rowing an ocean. It's ha- about having these tools. And I think the resilience of getting through normal life is often more difficult than getting through an ocean row. Like I say, you've just got that one focus in ocean rowing. Mm. You've just got to row. Whereas, you know, dealing with relationships and dealing with a, a job that you perhaps is, is toxic is, is incredibly difficult because, you know, when an ocean row, I mean, the Indian Ocean took 70 days. It felt like a long time, but 70 days is just 70 days. Whereas a toxic work environment, you think, when's it going to end? And that is a lot more difficult to, 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 to deal with. <clears throat> it took a little while for me to get around to understand um, or, or that that needed to be operated in a slightly different way. But actually, you know, it was a matter of having those tools in your arsenal. So, you know, I use things like um, uh, I used a counsellor and I, and I used um, uh, prescription drugs at the time to help me with my mental m- mental health and thankfully don't use those anymore. Um, uh, things like uh, seeing a doctor regularly, talking to people, creating a network of friends and actually using that network of friends, not just having mm. a list of friends on Facebook, actually talking to those people regularly, um, addressing ke- chemical issues. Yeah, I, I, I Massive problems with alcohol um, and, and I'm, have been sober for 906 days today i not that i'm counting well, every well, day. That's, that's uh, but but but, it, but but it's important to address those things because actually although i felt that that was helping me cope with my my issues it obviously isn't and we know it isn't um but but actually coping with those the, 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 and, and, and dealing with those issues head on and again it comes down to looking at things in a more granular detail so what is mm-hmm. it that, why is it that you are so struggling to deal with 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 day-to-day life um but it it is very much about having all of those tools in your arsenal and i in a good spot you know i i i i've i i say i'm sober i don't really have major major issues but i feel myself going downhill and you know everybody has those downhill bits regardless of whether it's labeled as a mental health condition i feel myself going downhill but having all those tools stops me then going into a really really dark place and mm. just knowing you've got those tools is an enormous thing to help you with your resilience getting through stuff just being able to know that you know there is a counselor there if you need it or you've got a support mm. network of friends or there's a good book that you can read or there's something that you like to or getting i mean exercise just enormous i mean it's all we say this all the time and, and it's just so easy to go oh yes exercise is great for you but it's wonderful for things like resilience and, and, and keeping your mental mm. mental health strong um because the resilience is the, the best thing for resilience is having that strong head and 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 and, and is, if you've mm. got a really strong head uh, that's clear and you understand what you're doing then then you can get through most things can't you interesting how you said that you know doing the, the ocean row in some ways was i not say easier but because you're a single focus, you're almost pulled out of normal day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate there is challenges within it and not many people will do that and quite scary. And, uh, but actually day-to-day life is, is tough in itself. And I think you're, you're right there saying we need to have strategies that personalizing and the lessons I've learned having interviewed on my podcast, many people, whether the extreme adventurers, Olympians, leaders in organizations and talk about resilience it's developing strategies to help you whether that's creating a network doing mindfulness i do ice bath there's all different things we all do that works for us and i think it's knowing that we have to have strategies because life is tough and and for me resilience is not just about grit and determination just getting on with things resilience for me is about learning and lessons before you get back up again what, what can you do differently and what support do you need how do you overcome that and that's so important for our mental health and 
really uh, acknowledging that you know life can be difficult uh, but actually we need to just we need help and we need strategies to, to really overcome that um mm. in terms of i mean obviously you've done all these great things and I, and now this this you say your life was changed forever um just want to expand upon that and what, what that means for you today why this completely changed your life these two sort of two rows i i think it's it's simply down to the fact that I think the biggest barrier for most people, and I, I see it, you know, I see it in, in my family. I've got, you know, my lad's 18, nearly 19, sort of what am I going to do in life, you know? And, and I, I had that issue where I just, you know, I originally, I wanted to be in the military, couldn't do that. And just what am I doing in life? I've got no focus. I've got no idea of where I want to go. Is my, is the only reason I'm here just to, tick the boxes, you know, ensure that my, you know, of course I want my family. I love my family and I want them to be, to looked after. And of course I will do whatever it takes to do that. But is that all I'm here for to, to mm. just go to get this job that I don't love and, 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 and make the money so that they can, you know, that, that can't be it. But having that focus, you know, someone that knows what they want to do is so, so that's such an enormous advantage. And so few people know exactly what they want to do. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just sort of, I did the row and suddenly I was like, click, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, I loved the ocean row. It changed, it, I felt it, it changed. I felt that I could do anything on the end of it, you know, and then I mm. suddenly got back into that adventure lifestyle. And I started doing, you know, the ultra marathons and all sorts of stupid things. Um, but, but, but that, 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 it sort of slowly sort of dawned on me that actually this was a something that I loved. I could actually get a career in it. So, so I run a, a company called Sharkbait Socials, and I, I do do uh, I, I tell people stories. The problem with ocean rowing is that you you've got your hands full with oars, and you're not doing selfies, and you com, 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 communications are poor, uh, and you want to sort of tell the world about your um project um perhaps not from a from a, a narcissistic point of view but perhaps to raise money for charity perhaps you know for your sponsors um and those stories weren't being told or they certainly weren't being told in in, in a passionate way because people were hiring say a social media company an, an ordinary social media company and then not able to to tell those stories because they don't have the, the background knowledge they can't you know and often with people at sea they don't get in touch with you for sometimes weeks on end and you're supposed as a social media company you're supposed to be putting out all this stuff with with no knowledge um so i sort of used my knowledge and and, and so i've been in ocean rowing for sort of 10 years plus um to be able to tell those stories take what they could give me sometimes mm -hmm. it's brilliant videos sometimes it's sort of hallucinating garbled voice notes you know and that sort of convert it into something that that normal people can understand and so i i can i that's what i do i tell people stories uh, via social media on, on my company and i realized that being able to do that is having that focus having something to do having something that i love having a, a you know a direction in which i go which i love and i think helps people suddenly my life feels a thousand times better. It, it, it overcomes huge amounts of those, certainly those mental health obstacles. Mm. The fact that you've got somewhere, you've got a direction, because I genuinely think that, that is half of the problem for so many people that I've talked to who have been dealing with, with mental health uh, conditions is that they just are a bit lost. Uh, and I think mm. once you've got that focus, that changes your life completely. Um, mm. And, it, and it, it's been brilliant. You know, the people that I've... Uh, quite apart from the fact that my own head is 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 feeling better just the people that you meet once you start you know your 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 operational world is with people who are 
stupid enough to row across an ocean. You know, they're, they're of a different ilk sometimes, and you start meeting all these uh, fascinating people who have, you know, cycled around the world and crossed Antarctica or want to go to space, or you end up in this different world. And, and it's, for me, certainly, mm. as I say, life-changing. Yeah, and I, and I think <clears throat> that I suppose one of the biggest lessons I've learned from you today is that is this whole sense of purpose, why I know that, and that 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 can be the whole... I guess force of nature for you, and 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 what it's done for you. <clears throat> not only have you done the ocean road, but you then launched a whole business that is attached to adventure. And if you'd not done that, who knows what you'd be doing today? And and I think it's those sort of moments when we need to step out of our comfort zone, push the boundaries a little bit, but led and driven by that sort of a purpose can really create a life that's really exciting and really linked and resonates to who you are. Um, I really appreciate your openness uh, today, uh, Barry, and I thank you for sharing your thoughts and your lessons uh, from your two uh, Ocean Rows. Um, if people want to connect with you and get in touch with you, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, to, the, the best way is if you if you Google shark bait socials. So so when I used to go away to sea, my my missus used to make me a, a playlist, and she and she used to say that I was shark bait so it was called shark bait um because so so shark bait socials if you if you google that we're shark bait socials on instagram and facebook and and everything so um you'll, you'll find me on there on my phone number and websites and all that so it's on my on, on you know, it's, all, it's all out there on, on google so yeah shark bait socials and thank you very much for inviting me onto this podcast it's been uh, it's been really really good to have a chat yeah thank you for coming on thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode if you like this episode, then please rate, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. As a coaching practice, I coach high-performing leaders and teams with extreme ambitions, and it will help you go beyond what you believe is possible. If this sounds like you, then let's have a conversation. You can contact me at julianrobertsconsulting.com. Hold up. 